Thanks, MG. It is truly an honor to be here with everybody tonight. Um, I'm just really excited to share just what Christ has done specifically in this past year, but um, also in the past four years. So if you don't mind just bowing your heads um, and I'll open us in prayer. Um, dear Lord, we just thank you for this great day today. Um, we thank you for the opportunity just to come here in this place as a, as a group of believers, Lord. Um, I just ask that you send your Holy Spirit to this place, Lord. Just give us all peace. Lord, I pray that you can put peace on my heart, that you can strip me of all my pride, Lord, that I can just come before you and be your vessel, humbly, as your servant. Lord, I pray for every single heart and soul in this room, that you can also just set peace on their heart and open up their heart so that they can receive what you have for them. Lord, in a specific way, I ask that you send your spirit so that we can use this time just to reflect on our day, on our week, on our year, and see where you might be calling us. And it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Um, and so tonight, I'm going to be sharing, I guess my topic is the difference between knowing who Jesus is and knowing Jesus. And it sounds pretty similar, I would say, but I think that in the past year, I've learned that there's a big distinction between the two things. Um, and so I'm just going to go ahead and op open us up um, in scripture. I'm going to be talking about Matthew, um, I'll come over here, 19 chapters, chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. And it's the story of the rich young man. Um, and as I go through this, I just ask that you kind of use it to reflect on where you're at right now in your faith, because we're going to go a little bit deeper into it. So um, verse 16, it says, Now someone approached him and said, Teacher, what good must I do to gain eternal life? He answered him, Why do you ask me about the good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He asked him, Which ones? And Jesus replied, You shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, all of these I have observed. What still do I lack? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, go, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this statement, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Um, and so whenever I read a gospel account, I try to imagine myself in the scene. Like I use it kind of as a meditative prayer. Um, and I like to try to like engage all of my senses when I read because I think it gives a better perspective about maybe some things that were missing. And so like when I'm in this passage, I try to like, like what does it smell like? Which is weird, but like what does it smell like? Um, like who else is there that maybe I don't see? Are like, are there crowds around? Like what are they saying? How are they looking at Jesus? How are they responding? Just like the things that are unsaid in scripture, which I think can reveal certain things about it. And so whenever I read passages like this, I imagine Jesus being like really patient <laughs> because how many times in scripture does Christ say something that is probably the most important part of the passage and we just completely miss it because our hearts aren't ready to receive it. And so then he goes on to explain things in parables or in many other different ways so that we can try to understand it. Um, I especially imagine this when he talks to Peter in any, in, any, in any regard or any story. Sometimes Peter, love him to death, but that guy's dumb as a rock sometimes. And I think that Jesus just really has to explain things to him, and, and that's me. Um, but I think every single person in this room, to a different regard, is this rich young man in the story. Because regardless of where you're at with your faith, if maybe you're here and you don't know who Jesus is, but you're curious about him, 
Or perhaps like you know who he is and you follow him. Or maybe you're someone who's decided that there is nothing better than Jesus and you're here right now. Regardless of where you are, it doesn't matter because every single day is a faith journey and a faith battle. And every single day we are this rich young man. And so let's get into it. So here we see this man approach Jesus with a very good desire to gain eternal life. Um, I hope we all have this desire one day to have eternal life with Christ. Um, and like him, you know, we, have, we have desires in other regards. Perhaps it's to have a 4-0 in this campus. That's not me, but it's some people in here. Um, maybe it's, if you're a senior, it's you know, to get into that, that dream grad school or to have that dream job. Um, all of these things are very good desires. But I think something to think about is that regardless of whether the desire is good or not, well, actually, especially if the desire is good, like in an instant, it, it cannot be good. Like in an instant, it can be tainted if we don't regularly and daily give these desires to Christ. Um, and so like this man, like he desires eternal life, but he's looking to gain it. Like he's looking to attain it himself. And so, and so what does Jesus say to this? I think the, the next line is the most important line of the whole passage. Um, he says, why do you ask me about the good? Like there is only one who is good. In other words, like, I think it's interesting that Jesus affirms this man's efforts. Like, that's really important, that we can be striving and trying as hard as we can. Maybe we're just doing it in the wrong way. So Jesus affirms this man's efforts, but shows him that none of his works actually matter unless you know who Christ is. Like, we cannot reach eternal life except for through Christ. And I think that's really important. Um, and this man, he, he completely misses it, though. Like, that's the most important thing. He tells him, like, like I'm the only one who's good but he misses it because his heart wasn't ready. Um, and so Jesus goes on, he says, if you wish to enter heaven, keep my commandments. And he lists several. And I think it's important to remember that like Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it and to renew it. And so there are still commandments that we have to follow in order to know Christ. Like they're not, they're not rules or anything to hold us down. In fact, they give us, they give us more life when we follow them because it brings us closer to Christ. Um, and so even through listing all these commandments, the young man says, like, I've done all that. Like, what else, what else do I lack? Um, and so what does Jesus do? Jesus, like, he meets this man where he's at. And then he points, he points to the one part of his heart that was unconverted. The one part that, that he was still lacking in or, or that he wasn't understanding. And I think that's really important that, like, like Christ directly says, like, this is, this is what's happening. Like, this is what you're missing and like what he's pointing at is that there's something deeper than just this man like having possessions. They're just presenting through the possessions. So like this man has, this man has selfishness and he has greed and it's holding him back from Christ. Um, and so I would claim that this, this young man, he didn't know Jesus personally. He knew of him, but he did not know Jesus because if he did, he wouldn't be trying to seek it on his own accord. Um, and that's not to say that maybe he hasn't had other encounters, like our faith is a journey. And there's moments where we're super, super close to Christ and we know him. And then there's moments where there's not. And so I think this is true for all of us, that every person in this room, including myself, has something that lays on our hearts that at one time or another has kept us from Jesus. Um, maybe it's lust or selfishness. If you're like me, then it would be pride but we all have something that distorts our relationship and at one point or another has kept us from Christ. And you know, it could be blatantly obvious, just presenting through sin, things like gossiping 
or pornography or drinking, it could be blatantly obvious. And these are very dangerous because they can really capture our hearts and they can pin us down. But perhaps like this man, our sin is hidden in our desires, our good desires, which I would argue is just as dangerous as the obvious sins because they're hidden from us. And these good desires, you know, where, where sin lurks, they can actually change your heart without even knowing it because you just get so wrapped up in it and you tell yourself certain things that, so that you, and you start to believe it. And I think I'm a perfect example of this. If you'll flip to the next, well not, yeah, the next one. Um, I come from a big family. This is my family. I love them to death. Um, being one of eight siblings is probably one of the best gifts that I've ever been given. Um, it's the reason that I know how to work hard. Um, it's the place where I learned to love. And it's also the reason I have a really short temper, so I can thank my dad for that. Um, my whole life, I would say, has been characterized by like having, oh wait, go to the next slide. This is the newest addition to the family. This is Max, I love him a lot. I had to incorporate it because, why not? Okay. Um, so like I said, my whole life has been characterized by, you can take it off because he's so distracting. <laughs> I'll look at him too. Um, my whole life has been characterized by like having to work hard for what I have because in a family of eight, there's nothing that's gonna be given to you because my brothers will just take it. So uh, everything I have, like I, I had to work for it and especially having, like, like all of us here that have, that have scholarships or play on an athletic team, like that's one of the best gifts we've been given. Um, but it's definitely the reason why I'm here. It's, it's not because of my own accord, but it's definitely because of Christ. I wouldn't be here without that. Um, but when I, when I did commit to coming and playing here, I think that I realized that it was, it was not of my own accord and therefore I wanted to be great where I was. I wanted to always give 100%. I'm a little, a little competitive. Um, and, but I, I wanted to do all of this because I, I genuinely, the deepest desire of my heart was to glorify Christ. Like I wanted to do that because it was not my talent that I had. And all of, all of these were incredibly good desires until they weren't. Um, I think these desires, uh, as good as they were, can easily be tainted by the devil, um, and I didn't even realize it. I think that when you start to have leniencies in certain ways, whether that's with your prayer or whether that's, you know, going down paths that aren't exactly fulfilling what Christ asks of you, um, that you, you relinquish certain parts of your heart that you have never before, and you allow the devil to sit at your table, and even if it's in a very small spot, he quickly can spread, and you won't even know it, like I said. Um, so my desires begin to slip from glorifying Christ to glorifying myself. Um, for my teammates in the room, I'm sure you saw this from a distance, and so I apologize for that. Um, but I, it's interesting because the shift in heart didn't just happen overnight. You know what I mean? Like, I still loved the Lord. I still pursued the Lord. I still did all of those things. Um, but it happened over the course of several years and, and decisions, daily decisions that I made that wasn't putting me in the best position. Um, a little bit about my soccer career. I, I came here not expecting anything, not expecting to play, anything like that. I had an amazing freshman and sophomore year. I was really, really blessed. Um, I would say during my junior year, there was a little bit of a team dynamic shift. I, didn't, I started to not to play as much. I became very frustrated and to the point where it was like after every practice, it was the only thing I could think about. Like it was affecting my emotions, it was affecting my attitude, and more importantly, it was affecting everyone around me. And so this very good thing in my life that I had once used to glorify Christ had slipped into an idol and it was not fulfilling me. It was honestly rather taking life from me. Um, 
Also a little bit about my career, I've had a bunch of concussions. So during my junior year, I sustained another concussion which forced me to medically retire um, and forfeit my senior year. I can remember being really angry <laughs> at God for this. I felt like he, he was taking away this good thing in my life um, for what seemed to be no reason at all. And it's, it's funny, you know, I would say that it wasn't until this year right now that I realized just how much damage um, and leniency I had given the devil in my life. Um, to, and it was controlling my thoughts, like I said, and most importantly, my emotions. Um, and I want to stop here for just a moment and, and say, like, it wasn't that I was choosing like, really evil things. That's not what it is. But I think that the line for good and evil runs down every person's heart. And it's so, so easy to get caught up in something that maybe you're just really not aware of. And like I said, like, you start to tell yourself it's okay until it's not anymore, until you're in this position. Um, I really think that my desire was always to know and serve Christ, but, and you can quote me on this, I think that college is the devil's playground and he will use anything and everything he needs to, to reach avenues in your heart. Um, looking back, I would say, I thank God every single day that he allowed soccer to be taken from me. Um, because though my senior year was painful and it sucked at times, um, it was definitely a purification that my heart needed. Um, I needed to understand and more importantly to endure some form of suffering so that I could be freed from my desires even if they seemed good at the time and begin to know what the sweetness of what Jesus desires for me. And you know, I think it's funny how sometimes like Jesus's plan looks differently than ours. And looking back on my last year, I think I was able to glorify him more off the field than I ever had on the field. And so not only did he fulfill my desire of wanting to glorify him, he actually increased it. Um, so for all the athletes that are in the room, like I think that in or if you think that for some reason, in order to be something or to glorify Christ, you have to play on the field, I would tell you that's a lie because there's far greater opportunity to serve, to, to serve your teammates around you. I think it just takes you picking up your head and looking. I think it's important to find purpose where you're at and not to get lost in what you wish your situation was. Don't miss out on an opportunity he's giving, even if it doesn't make sense at the time. And so I think that a constant theme that emerged during this year where I was you know, kind of going in and out of suffering was understanding the consequences of my sin and just the consequences of sin in general. And I think that it's important to know also that like when we sin, like Christ isn't moving, like Christ never moves. It's not like we sin and Christ takes a step this way. It's like Christ always stays here and we're taking steps away. We're actively saying, I don't want that. I don't want that. But Jesus never moves. It's us that's choosing to take a step the other direction. And that's really important to know because like when we remove ourselves from Christ, then we automatically cling to things and try to fill his place because we're made for communion and therefore we're going to try to fill it with something else. And so the reason that there's a consequence to sin is because when we fill it with something else, we have to go through this process of detachment when we realize that we've done that. And that is really painful. Detachment from material things that you've, you thought were part of your identity is really painful. And that's what the consequence of sin is. It's not because Jesus sentenced me to a year because I sinned. Like that's not how it works. Like Christ allowed suffering in my life because I, need, like I needed to know what that detachment was. Um, so what, what I am saying is that through my suffering, I learned how to, 
how attached to material things in my life I had become. And for me, this was soccer. For you, it might be a relationship. It might be your grades. It might be something else. I don't know. Um, but through this year, I learned just how important the passion of our Lord is. Um, in, the, in the passage of the rich young man, it says that the young man walked away sad because he had many possessions. Um, like, why does, why does he walk away? Like, sometimes I, I read this and I'm like, you had Jesus right in front of you. Like, why did you walk away? Like, all you had to do is, like, reach out. And then I asked myself, like, why do, I, why do I walk away? Like, I have Jesus right in front of me. Why, why didn't I? Why don't I just reach out? Um, and I would claim that I think it's because we fail to make what Jesus did for us personal. In moments where we choose sin, we're actively choosing not to know Christ, as I said, which means we're not making it personal. We're detaching ourselves from him. And right now we're in the middle of Lent. Um, this is a time where many Christians are preparing their hearts and their minds for the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Um, and I think one thing that's always struck me about Easter is, is just how lost the passion gets in our culture. Like, I think it's missed sometimes. That's not to say that the resurrection doesn't deserve, like, all of the attention because it is the single most important factual moment in, in history for Christians and for the world. But that is to say that, like, there were events that preceded that and they deserve our attention. I think that we're very quick in our culture to claim the mercy of God and everything that he promised from the resurrection. But my question is, do we know why we're claiming it? Like, why, why do we want that? Um, and so, like, when it comes to the passion story, I think it's really easy to get lost in the magnitude of it. I mean, it's like a lot of pages in the Bible. I didn't count, but it's so many. I really encourage, I, if, if I had more time, I would have read through the whole thing because it's awesome. But I encourage you to read it um, when you leave here. Um, I think it's really easy just to generalize it and say, we're so thankful that Christ came and he died and now we can go to heaven, which is true. Don't get me wrong. That's very true. Um, but Jesus did not come here so that we could generalize him. Like he came so we could know him personally and intimately. Um, and so recently I was listening to a podcast um, from Father Mike Schmidt. Um, he's awesome. He talks on so many different topics, but specifically this one was on the topic of, of the wounds that Christ sustained from the passion. Um, and I want to share some, some, a little bit about it. Um, he gets his information specifically from forensic tests that are run on what's called the Shroud of Turin. I don't know if any of you know it. If I also had more time, I would explain it. But for those of you that don't know, this is what we believe to be the cloth that Jesus was wrapped in when he died. And on the moment of, his, on, of the resurrection, there was an image that is of Christ on this cloth. Um, and you can see the image of Christ after he was scourged and crucified. And that's where some of these forensic tests are run. So I don't know if you know this, but when the Jews scourge someone, um, there's a Jewish law that says you can only scourge someone with 39 lashes because anything else is cruel and unusual. But as we know, Christ first was with the Jews and then was sent to Pontius Pilate, um, the Romans. So the Romans did not, they didn't have this law. Um, and when the Romans scourged someone, they had what was known as a flagellum. It's a one foot long wooden stick. And at the end of this stick is anything from two to seven leather straps. At the end of each strap, there were anything from hooks, pieces of glass, bone, maybe. Um, from the image, we can see that Jesus was struck from the base of his head all the way down to his feet 120 times, which is three times more than anything that Jewish law would allow. Each of those flagellum, like I said, having up to seven weights 
and hooks that dug into his flesh, some of them that even wrapped around the side of Christ into his chest, down his arms. We also see from scripture that Jesus had a crown of thorns that was placed on his head. Um, but from the image, it's actually more like a, like a helmet of thorns. There are 14 markings and these thorns were two to four inches long. Um, and this is what Christ wore. It was what was pushed into his head. But more specifically, I wanna talk about Jesus's face. So in, in the gospel of Luke, there's an account when Jesus is being held by the Sanhedrin. So this is before he makes it to Pontius Pilate. Um, and Luke accounts that Jesus was being beaten by those he was imprisoned by. And the podcast I was listening to, it accounts that there were two men that were beating Jesus's face, one on his right, and one on his left, and the one on his right was more aggressive. It says, quote, an assailant standing on the right of the man had vigorously and repeatedly beat him on the face with a stick, about one and three quarter inches in diameter. His right eye and cheek are swollen, his nose dislocated from the cartilage, torn from the nasal spine. The wound to the eye is almost triangular, indicating that it was delivered with an upward blow. Such a wound would cause a good deal of pain as well as blurred vision and a black eye. And in that same spot, there has been another blow that dislocated the cartilage from the nose. And this is where I want to go back to scripture. In Luke 22, it says, They blindfolded him and questioned him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that hit you? And like, I just want to take a step back for a minute, for a minute and think, like, here's Jesus kneeling, blindfolded, and there are two men that are beating him. And they say, Prophesy, who is it that hit you? Like, just stop for a moment and think, like, Jesus knew. Like, Jesus knew that man's name. And not just like, oh, that's Hamp, or that's Wade, or that's Aaron. Like, Jesus knew this man before he even existed. Like, he knew everything about him. And still, like, Jesus stands, this man stands there, and he hits him. And the fact of the matter is, like, it's so personal. Because that, like, that's me. Like, I did that. And it's not just like, yeah, I'm a sinner. Like, we have to name it. And it's not just like, yeah, like, like I hurt Jesus. Like, no, it was, it, was, it was not a generic wound. Like, it was personal. It was the one that, that came from the left. The one that gave him a black eye. Like, I, I did that. And the thing is, like, unless, until I let what I did to him be personal, like, what he did for me can't be personal. Like, until I let what I did because of my sin be personal for Christ, then what he did for me in saving me, it can't be personal. And the same is true for all of us. So, like, why do we walk away? And I think it's just because we forget or because we don't know what, what Christ did for us was personal. So, like, what do we do, right? Like, what do we do now? And I think that well, like, while we live on earth, we're never going to be perfect, Every day we turn our backs on Jesus. So, like, what do we do? We, name, we have to name our sin. That's the first thing. We come back to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness. And I think, like, do you realize that, like, when you claim your sin, like, Jesus claims us in return. Like, when we look at Jesus and say, like, Jesus, and I did this to you, he gets to say back to us, and I did this for you. And when we say, like, Jesus, I did this to you, and I didn't even care. He can say, yeah, and I did this for you, and I absolutely cared. It's so personal. And, like, there are two extremes when it comes to handling sin and the faith life. Like, we, like, the two extremes are the one is, like, we can either go about life oblivious to our sins and decide that it doesn't matter, or we can grasp our sin too tightly and make it, like, our job to fix it. 
what I'm proposing is that we fall somewhere in the middle, that we, we are accountable for our sins, that we examine our conscience every day and ask the Holy Spirit to point out the places in our life where we glorified Christ and to thank him for those. But in the moments that we fall short, we fall on our knees and we say, Jesus, I hurt you in this specific way and I'm so sorry about it. Because you see, when we do this, we allow Christ to be our savior. We turn from trying to attain heaven by ourselves like the young man in scripture. And instead we approach the one who has already attained it for us and wants so badly for us to share it through him and with him. Uh, and this is the last thing. After my freshman year, um, I had the privilege of serving on a mission trip to St. Lucia. Um, and this was along like college athletes from around the United States. It was awesome. Um, and we got to spread the gospel through what we did best, athletics. It was really cool. Um, so we worked, we worked closely with two or three schools in the area. And what we would do is like they, they allowed us to have the PE time. And so like every PE, like every 30 minutes, there were kids that were coming out. So we played soccer from like eight to three every day. It was awesome. Um, and I can remember there was a specific kid that everyone called Mr. Bean. Like they all made fun of him because he looked like Mr. Bean. And it was, it was a tough scene because he did. Um, <laughs> but it was like, I, I could see that he was a really shy kid. Like he was, you, I don't know. There was just something about him. Like you could tell he didn't like to be called that. Like nobody likes to be made fun of. Um, and so like one day I went over to him and I just looked at him and I was like, you don't like to be called Mr. Bean, do you? And he was like, he just shook his head. And I said, so what is your name? Uh, and he responded with Daniel, which happens to be my favorite book in the Bible. So I got a little emotional. Um, and so like, I looked at him and he looked intently back at me. And I said, okay, well, for the rest of the time that we have together, I'm gonna call you by your name. I'm gonna call you Daniel. Um, and every single day after I encountered him and, and we shared that moment, like he was, I felt like he was a different kid. Like he was so happy. He, he made it a point to come to me. I think at one point, he even brought me like homemade jam. Like, and these kids didn't have anything. He brought me something from his home because that's how, meant, how much it meant to him to be known, like to be loved, to be seen, to be cared for. And I think like we're all this little kid. We all desire to be called by our name. We desire this personal connection with Jesus. You see, because on the first half of the trip, I only knew Daniel as Mr. Bean. Um, but when I stepped forward and went deeper with him, I learned his name and I didn't just know about him. I learned, I learned who he was. Um, and isn't this all what we desire? And so I'm here to tell you tonight that like you are already claimed. That Jesus knew you before your sin, during your sin, after your sin, and he still chooses to love you every day. He chose to, put, to make a spot for you in heaven. And so I just have some questions for you. Like my question is, do you know Jesus? Do you know the places in your heart that perhaps are unconverted? Like what's holding you back from him? The places that hide you from Jesus or cause you to constantly walk away from Jesus. Do you know that what he did was personal for you? Do you in turn know that what you do is personal to him? I challenge, I challenge you all with this because like I said, every day is a battle of faith. And I think it's like the greatest saints in the world didn't just have one great moment of faith. Like it was in the millions of decisions that they made every single day to follow Christ. Their little, like, and, and when they fell, like their littleness drove them to repentance. It drove them to their creator because they understood the magnitude of Christ. They understood what it means to be forgiven and to be loved. And you know, like it's in, it's in these decisions that they made 
that allowed them to choose Christ than in the big things. Like they made their relationship personal. So I'm not promising you all that you're gonna be perfect. I'm not perfect, I fall every day. I'm not promising you that like temptation is gonna magically fall away. But what I am promising you is that life with Jesus is far better than life without him. And, and whenever Jesus performed any miracle in the scriptures, it says he didn't require any, he didn't ask for anything but an act of faith. Before every miracle, the only thing is an act of faith. And you can see this in multiple accounts in scripture. So we have to choose to live our lives this way, to wake up every day and choose to know Jesus, even if we, fully, if we don't fully understand. We must desire for Christ to convert every piece of our hearts to his will, to be freed from our sinful desires, to hand over our good desires, and to rejoice in the sweetness of Jesus, to choose not just to know him, not just to know of him, but to know him. Um, so I'm just going to ask the worship team to come back up and close us in prayer. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, like, we, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for, for sending your son Jesus here um, to show us what it means to be really human, to show us what it means to, to die to ourselves. And even in moments where it's not fair to choose you because life, life eternal is, is far better than life here. And so, Lord, I just pray for every heart in this room. Lord, that if there is something that's, that, that's sitting on their hearts, if, if there's a cycle of sin, if there's something, Lord, that you would just allow them to fall to their knees and to ask for your mercy. Lord, that you would send your spirit on their life because, because the desire is there. And because where the desire is there, Lord, also you are there. Lord, I just ask that you, that you heal the brokenhearted, that you give them an experience of your love, Lord. Just be with this campus, Lord. Be with us in our, in our final days here as seniors in this last month. Allow us to enjoy every moment. And Lord, we just thank you for everything you've given us. And it's your name that we pray. Amen.